I'm Jill Shaw here with Ross Wilson, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. The Boston Public Schools School Committee met yesterday, May 13th. Topics included updates on school meals, students and technology, the HEROES Act, and some potential clouds on the horizon when it comes to funding. There was also a presentation from a new private school in Jamaica Plain and a report from Boston Green Academy, Horace Van Charter. And finally, there was a report on Boston Public Schools virtual learning plan, which included waiving graduation and promotion policies during for the duration of the crisis. We are here to share some of the highlights. Hi, Ross. How are you this morning? I'm great, Jill. How are you? I am very well. So let's dig in, starting with Superintendent Casilius's report. Ross, what were the highlights here? Yes, Dr. Casilius gave an update on, on some really important topics uh, related to remote learning and food delivery, as well as um, access to technology. So the superintendent outlined um, what we'll hear later on about the details of the remote learning plan that took, in, that took effect uh, last Monday. Um, so now uh, we have clear guidance on grading, attendance, and uh, ensuring that every student has a learning and personalized success plan. Um, we also heard about distribution of food. So BPS is operating 14 sites for food um, across the city, and they're also doing door-to-door -door service for a number of families um, for delivery of food. So currently there are, or we've had up to date, 475,000 meals total uh, distributed to families. Uh, we essentially are doing about 15,000 meals a day. Um, 4,500 to 5,000 are delivered door to door to students with a total of 150,000 meals delivered to uh, families' doors to date. How, how are they doing um, the door to door? Are they doing it with um, buses or with cars, do you know? They're delivering with uh, our school buses. So we have, uh, we have school bus drivers and, and I think food service workers on buses delivering door to door. Uh, we also we also heard about um, the school system passing out hygiene products, and it sounds like about 116,000 hygiene products have been passed out at these food uh, food sites to date, which is just remarkable. Amazing. Um, and um, we we heard a little bit about the PEBT cards. So these are pandemic EBT cards that will be sent out to every family in Boston Public Schools and all charter schools, where every family will get $400. Um, on a debit card to use towards food. I'm, I'm sorry, every student will get $400. Um, so for families with multiple students, they get $400 for each child, which is very exciting. And that was really important benefit. Um, and then we heard that 31,379 Chromebooks have been delivered um, so far and including 2,500 hotspots for families to be connected uh, to the internet. Um, overall, just a great, a great update from the superintendent about technology, about food access, um, and supporting families across the district. Uh, we, we should note here that there is a district hotline should families need support. Um, that district hotline is 617-635-8873, um, and any family can call that hotline should they need support from the school district. So her updates were very much focused on how BPS is reacting to and focusing its efforts during the crisis, including ensuring that its family's most basic needs are met wherever possible. Yes, that's great. I mean, the school system is doing a, 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 quite a great job of focusing on the basic needs of families um, and ensuring families have multiple supports and resources should they need them.
Um, we, we also heard from a school committee uh, member, Michael O'Neill, who is uh, the soon-to-be chair of the Council of Great City Schools, and he gave an update around federal funding. Right, so let's play that clip. Boston was expected to get about $35 million in the CARES Act. If DESE follows this guidance, which we anticipate they would, then um, this is going to be about $3.5 million less for Boston. The new HEROES Act that was passed, and by the way, the council is fighting this very actively at the national level, at the Department of Ed, et cetera. Um, they, uh, this new HEROES Act that passed the House last night did include clarifying language, making it very specific that the Department of Ed was supposed to follow the existing protocol on Title I funding and not this new approach of trying to say the overall ratio of public and private students. Uh, but that has not yet gone to the Senate, not yet been signed by the by the president and does not yet have the force of law. So, um, and to date we anticipate the Secretary DeVos has been reluctant uh, to go back to the formula that had been used traditionally. So this is uh, storm clouds on the horizon and something that is being watched very closely. So um, as you heard, uh, Mr. O'Neill gave an update on, what, you know, this is two days old. Uh, there is a new uh, act that is called the HEROES Act. Um, and this is funding that is a, essentially a $3 trillion stimulus package with 100 billion uh, earmarked for education. 58 billion of that 100 is earmarked for K-12 education. What's important to note here is that the last in the last recession, 100 billion was geared for K-12 education. So we, we are about half of that um, in K-12 ed education. So this HEROES Act um, is, is about three days old now, and it's still working its way through um, the House and the Senate. Um, and and what, it, what it, the proposal is, is to provide uh, $3 trillion stimulus to, um, to states uh, for, for support during this crisis. 100 billion will be provided for education um, and about 58 billion of that will be de dedicated to K-12 schools. This is less than the 100 billion that was given to K-12 schools in the last recession. Um, these funds can be used for technology, transportation, food nutrition reimbursement. And essentially what Mr. O'Neill said was that we should be um, looking at this very closely because there's guidance that was set forth by the federal government that the funds be sent from the state to schools, not by the needs of their students, but generally just by the population, the total population of students in a school. And that private schools will receive the same level of funding as district schools. So Mr. O'Neill is basically giving us caution here. He's saying that the um, this HEROES Act will provide less money than the last recession than we saw in the last recession, and also that we the disbursement of those funds from the state may really be reduced because of this guidance from the federal government. Um, it could be reduced by about 3.5 million, and so we should expect to see somewhere around you know 30 million to 35 million to help the district with reimbursement um, of these important functions should the HEROES Act be implemented. So that's interesting. Do you think that's just a starting point or do you think that will be what it will be or, or that it, it's just so unknown what the economy is going to look like that this is all we can really do at this point as, as a, 
federal government? I think it's, I think uh, as Mr. O'Neill said, this is the high watermark. We should expect uh, that this be the highest reimbursement level we would see, and potentially it would mm -hmm. go down from here. Um, we do have to pay a lot of attention to our budget going forward here. Um, we we had uh, unemployment numbers come out this morning, and they're continuing to increase, and we're we're just seeing um, our economy being uh, impacted like never before, and, and that will certainly impact school funding going forward. Right. Okay. There were a few other questions from committee members. Um, Ross, what were the highlights? Sure. We, we heard questions about um, PEBT cards and about student addresses. And so this is an important point here is that um, we, we heard that a number of our students may be living in other locations given during this crisis. Um, and there was a question about how will these uh, this benefit for food get to families if students have moved to a different address. And that's something the school system was going to be looking into. We also heard a question about um, families wondering about how to get more mental health support. We actually, there's a that number around um, BPS support, which is 617-635-8873. Um, that there's been about 200 calls a day to that number asking for mental health support and other supports. Um, so this is something that the district has put into place and and, um, and are responding to every family who needs support. Um, so that, that that seems to be going well, although concerning about the number of families that we need, we need to support during this time. Right, right, and it'll probably only be, it'll, it'll just progressively be worse, I think, also, right? That's right, that's right. It's, it's, uh, that's right. Um, we also we also heard from Mr. O'Neill um, and Chairman Macanto, who both spoke about a forum that the Boston Globe had recently um, to hear from students about how they're doing. Right. And students, um, you know, what they heard is that students are oh, they're doing okay. Um, they would love to have more unstructured virtual environment time, so it's just time to connect with their peers. Um, mm -hmm. We heard that students are having a hard time. Um, getting access to their guidance counselors during this time, particularly seniors. And, and the seniors were saying they're really concerned about the juniors for next year and access to their guidance counselors. Um, we did, we heard from students who said that they were um, appreciative of the schedule change, which provided more clarity and focus for them. Um, and, you know, overall, the, the students were saying uh, on this Globe Forum, that things are okay now, but they're really concerned that if they had to start a virtual learning environment in the fall, um, it would be much harder because all the content would be new, the classroom teacher would be new, and that it's not as hard as it is, you know, currently because they're ending the school year, they already know their teacher, their friends, their content, but it'd be much more difficult to start up um, virtually in the fall. Yeah, I know. It's, it's going to be incredibly tough. So. Michael O'Neill, Mr. O'Neill had some comments on um, students and then very specifically on school food. Let's play his comments. Thanks. And just if I could make one more comment about the food. And again, I am so overwhelmingly impressed by the effort that has gone on. And there's nothing like being out and, and seeing it handed out and talking to families and everything. I just want to make sure, and I have had this conversation with the food service leadership team, your team, only because, you know, so I'm at the central kitchen. We made such progress in moving to fresh and moving to innovative food that was great for our students' health, that engaged them more, et cetera. What we're doing right now is great triage. 
because it was immediate, it was response, and, and I'm so glad we're doing it. But I wanna make sure as we rethink our learning capacity going forward in if we have to continue to be in remote, I hope we also take a chance to step back and think about what we're doing for food as well. I just don't wanna lose some of this great momentum that we've had underway. And um, you know, again, this is 100% kudos to the work that has been done, but they're really, really smart people and let's keep pushing them to keep thinking about how do we, how do we bridge a gap a little bit between some of the emergency stuff we're providing now and what could be healthier going forward. Now, of course, we agree with that. It would be great to see diversity in the school meals that are being provided with an emphasis on fresh, healthy food. Um, and we know that this is so important to fortifying our students all the time, but it's especially important that they have access to fresh, delicious, healthy food during this health crisis. So after the, all of the questions from the school committee, the meeting was moved into um, general public comment. Ross, what, what, what were the highlights there? Sure, so we had about 14 people testify during public comment. Um, the three main areas of focus were on the student privacy. Um, we've heard about this meeting after meeting where students are concerned about how their information is being shared um, with police and potentially with ICE. Um, we heard an, uh, support for our Boston Green Academy's um, charter school renewal, Horace Mann Charter School renewal. And then we heard a few comments about, um, again, about the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education Memorandum of Understanding with the Boston Public Schools, um, particularly around this kaleidoscope network in East Boston and Charlestown. Um, Chairman Macanto uh, did ask the superintendent for an update on when the student privacy policy would be updated. And it sounds like uh, there'll be future meetings in the third week of May with, with different concerned groups. Um, and then after that, there would be a revision of the policy and it'd be brought back to school committee. Right. So then, and then um, we had Boston Green Academy give a report. Anything that we should note there, do you think? Sure, so Boston Green Academy is a Horace Mann charter school in the Alston Brighton neighborhood. Um, they gave a report on uh, essentially a renewal of their charter. They have to do this every five years. This is the third five-year renewal of their charter that they're seeking. Um, this is quite a comprehensive process. They have to apply a 50-page plus report to the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, get approval from the Boston Teachers Union, and we expect this to take place, you know, over the next few months and essentially in January, they may receive their approval from um, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. There's, a, there's two interesting comments made here about Boston Green Academy, one about their grade structure. They're a 6 to 12 school. Um, which makes them very unique. So they have students from, I think, 12 years old all the way through 22. And um, so there, there was discussion about grade configuration and should they be 7-12 or stay 6-12, um, and they're open to those conversations, but they do like having their students for a long period of time. And the second was around Mass Corps um, and about their adherence to Mass Corps. And we've discussed this in past podcasts where this is the state standard for common graduation requirements. Mm -hmm. um, and Boston Green Academy is not yet at Mass Corps. Um, and it's interesting, they, they, what they're looking for is to increase their physical, physical education requirements as well as arts offerings. And that would get them to Mass Corps. Um, and they're hoping to, to reach that standard. 
So, and this just is, it exemplifies that what the issues are going to be around moving the entire um, district to MassCorp, right? Is that there, these two things are often highlighted as um, being areas that are difficult for certain schools to provide because of space or budget or other reasons. Um, but it just shows that there's, there's, there's some real um, investment that's going to be needed in order to, for the entire district to move to MassCorp. That's, that's right. And, um, and Matt Holzer, who's the headmaster at, at the school, uh, was highlighting those and, and was actually saying, you know, he has a gym and he has phys ed, but he's only able to schedule his, um, I believe, his middle school students for phys ed um, and is not able to actually schedule his high school students yet for or all of his high school students for phys ed. Um, so this is something he'll need additional resources for. And um, it'll be interesting to, to watch how uh, Boston Green Academy moves through this process and um, you know, they're, they're a school, I think, that is, that is doing quite remarkably and serving students in an incredibly, um, in incredibly you know, successful way. And they're also a school that has no enrollment, uh, you know, barriers. So they're, they're essentially an open enrollment high school um, that is a horseman charter school. So great school to watch and, and keep track of. Okay, attention to, yeah. So the last report uh, of the evening was on summer learning and BPS's remote learning plans. This is, a, the, I think, the first unveiling of this new plan. Um, let's listen to Superintendent Casilius introduce this presentation. Today, we will give you an update on remote learning. Um, this is our second phase of our remote learning. As you know, we started out with the first six weeks, getting our kids food and tending to their health and safety needs, and then moving into uh, more of the longer term um, closure around remote learning and our remote learning plan. And we have Andrea Zayas, Chief Academic Officer here to provide um, an update on that and the expectations for our shared work as a community moving forward. Um, this plan will offer clear guidance around grading, attendance, and personalized student success plans for students who are either not engaged or falling behind in order to ensure that our students are getting what they need and that families are supported during this time. We also have outlined expectations for equity roundtables. I think this is nation leading work after um, um, Dr. Granson has been leading this work with our equity roundtable district-wide. We've had nearly 100 or more uh, participants in that um, and hopefully at a later date we will be giving you more information about these equity roundtables but what's really interesting about this is we've also asked our school leaders to hold the equity roundtables at their schools in order to one hold ourselves accountable to the data two to problem solve around the issues of student engagement and their learning and the support to families as well as to be able to keep keep school leaders and the school community connected to their overall community. Um, and school leaders have uh, expressed to me that this has been a tremendous value to them and a, a great way to stay connected and to problem solve with the community. So we're really, really excited about that under Dr. Granson's leadership. So what, what we heard here um, in this report, Jill, was, was, um, was really an update on, on what we're expecting virtual learning to look like for all of our students. And so, um, we have our, our chief academic officer, Andrea Zayas, laid out um, how grading would happen, uh, how student schedules are set up every day. Um, she, she also went over uh, the resources that are available for students with disabilities, as well as English language learners, um, and, as well as a centralized hub for uh, wellness and uh, physical activity. Um, and and uh, Ms. Zayas also talked about 
um, access to, there's TV channels now that are offering BPS programming and educational programming. So this is a much more comprehensive approach here to virtual learning. Um, and there's actually some interesting data that's coming out of this around student engagement in virtual learning. Right. Do you want to talk about that now? Um, sure. So, so we can play a clip here from, from Dr. Rivera. Um, so first, I just want to, you know, really express uh, deep gratitude and admiration to Andrea and her team for, for their hard work. Um, this is, as a parent, it's also a relief to, to see this clarity. <laughs> um, and so I'm just so grateful to everyone's hard work. Um, I did have just two questions, um, and one of them had to do with um, the, the slide number 12, where, <clears throat> and again, appreciate that you're sharing data about, you know, who's, you know, who's logging in and the differences there. And I'm just wondering, you know, clearly there showed there were some racial and ethnic differences in terms of the student population, you know, that's logging in. Um, so number one is I wondered what, you know, what, if any kinds of intentional um, activities, interventions might be thinking about how to get, you know, all the students uh, logging in. So um, I encourage listeners to take a look at the, 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 um, the this PowerPoint presentation on virtual learning. And, and if you look at slide 12, um, it, it clearly gives an overview of uh, students who have logged in to Clever and students who have logged in to Google Classroom. These, these are two of the portals that are being used for virtual learning across our district. And on slide 12, these are broken up by race. So we can see um, student by race and how many times have they logged into Clever or Google Classroom. And by looking at slide 12, you begin to notice very clearly that there are discrepancies by race. And you know, we see about a third of students have yet to even log in to the Clever. Um, and we see that there's about a third to 40% of students um, haven't logged into Google Classroom for over five days. So there's still a huge question here around um, how much are students accessing uh, remote learning resources across our district. Um, the superintendent and uh, Andrea Zayas really spoke clearly about what they're doing about this. So they, they know that there's 31 schools they're trying to pay more attention to, um, to make sure that students are logging in. They said that there may be some more paper-based um, uh, activities going on in a number of schools where students are not having to log in. Um, and they're trying to match attendance now to how many times students are logging in, ensuring that they're reaching out to every student um, across the district to ensure that they're engaged in learning. This is so complicated, though, and, and they did make this point last night. I mean, 54,000 students across the district, and some of them are also serving as frontline workers, maybe the only person working in their family. Some of them are older older kids are taking care of younger siblings while their parents are out working. Um, there, there are, There's so much friction in the lives of so many families who are attending Boston Public Schools that this is this is just really complicated. And um, a part of what we heard last night was that they're they're kind of trying lots of different channels um, and mechanisms for 
um, serving students while students are kind of living these lives of absolute chaos. Right, and, and we heard from Mark Racine, the uh, chief uh, information officer, um, who, who spoke about ways to track better around engagement. So it, getting past just how many times students are logging in, but what are they doing? How are they spending time in these systems? Um, and I, I think there's, there's gonna be some pretty robust data that comes of this and, and should be discussed at school committee publicly so that we can all, do, all partner together to try to solve these very complex issues. Yeah, um, I should I, also I, note that. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jill. I was just going to say this is this is certainly a place where it is going to take a village in order to serve uh, the the kids who attend Boston Public Schools. This is this is an extraordinary effort um, that will have to be rolled out over a period of time and with a lot of adjusting, right? As we learn what works and what doesn't work in order to serve our students best. And and I think we'll get more data as well, not only about how students are engaged in learning, but uh, there's also going to be attendance data so teachers are required to enter attendance now every friday uh, for students for the week and we'll begin to see some grading um, where students are going to be required to begin to take uh, at least two ela and two math assessments by the end of the year to get a sense of how they're doing towards learning goals and and these prioritized standards so this is all going to be really interesting to to keep an eye on um, and will really implicate, you know, what happens for summer, you know, so what's going to, who right. will qualify for additional services at summer school, um, and who will maybe potentially qualify for additional supports when school uh, reopens in the fall. Yeah, and there was, on that point, there was a particular question that was asked by Mr. O'Neill, who has really been kind of piloted several times through this broadcast, but he um, talked a little bit about um, the allocation of time for students. Let's play that. Even as I applaud, um, you know, having a basis of minimum expectations that parents can expect that schools are sending out schedules. And yet, I think a lot of people heard that as students would have at least three hours a day. And then I saw a schedule from one high school that had sent it out and basically it comes across if you're getting one hour a day. And then the rest are quote unquote, teachers are available for office time to talk and, um, so I think we're still getting to the point of having some consistency across the board. So this, this point is really important, Jill. We've talked a lot about adult expectations and, and that adults would be teaching um, synchronously or asynchronously um, at least three hours a day. And we assumed that students would be learning for, you know, engaged in online learning for at least three hours a day. And, um, but if you look at schedules from, from some of our high schools, you'll see that adults may be working those those three hours a day as, as agreed upon with the Boston Teachers Union, but our student schedules appear to only be engaging students for about an hour a day. This is right. highly concerning and, and we really have to pay attention to every school. And the superintendent noted um, that she is looking into schedules for students across, across schools and, and is engaging equity roundtables at every school to ensure the high high levels of learning are existing. All right, consistency is important, but definitely FaceTime is important also um, between students and, and teachers. So that that's a wrap. That's what happened last night at school committee. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please subscribe to our podcast and rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and citizens of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.